Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change, people working for better money. I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world. And I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the nonprofit world. Today, we're joined by Stephen Green. Stephen describes himself as a recovering investment banker and venture capitalist. These days, he works to support underrepresented founders. At the time of the recording, he was community director at WeWork. He recently became director of operations at the Penn Soul Academy. Stephen is well known for his work as an organizer of Pitch Black and PDX Startup Week. He's also the proud father of three, and he likely has more pairs of shoes than you. That said, Stephen, please tell us a little more about your background. What's your origin story? Uh, Born in the Bay Area, uh, the day the Blazers won the championship. So I often say I was born to live in Portland. My dad (laughs) likes to remind me that he missed the second half of the game. Because uh, I was being born, and then we moved to Portland um, when I was about three months old, and then lived here and in Detroit. So um, as a kid growing up, my dad's from Detroit, my mom's from Puerto Rico, and uh, I would do nine months here, six months or three months there, nine months here, three months there, and so it was a fascinating perspective to be able to see two ends of the spectrum. And my my parents really did that on purpose because they figured if you can function in East Detroit Mm -hmm. and you can also function in Beaverton in the 80s when (laughs) like the black population doubled when we moved in, uh, (laughs) we, we could function anywhere. Awesome. What's the, and say more about what you're working on these days, what's keeping you busy, how you're applying your values to your work, and say more about your work life. Yeah, so uh, you know, both of my parents were entrepreneurs growing up. I saw my mom start a tech company in the 90s, raise venture capital. Uh, my dad had a long career at Intel uh, before starting his own company. And when I was a kid, uh, my, my uncle worked in pharmaceuticals in Detroit uh, as, a, as a youngster, uh, not, not the legal kind. Um, <laughs> and so I was surrounded by people Um, that were brilliant, that were smart, that were courageous, that had a fresh perspective on lives, and um, also, you know, instilled with this idea of community. Um, And so growing up, my my dad made it very clear to us that, you know, part of of being in a community is giving back and being active. And I remember in the mid-80s when the teachers went missing on Mount Hood, Mm -hmm. um, my dad came home from work the first night they were missing and just uh, automatically started packing a bag and didn't say anything. And I was like, Dad, where are you going? And he was like, well, I'm going up to the mountain to go look for the teachers. And he said, um, you know, in order for people to be found, someone has to be looking for them. Mm. And so I'm going to go look for them. And so, you know, it's always stuck with me. And, and I think you, you got to show up. And I think mm. that's that's 90% of the game. Mm. When Noel introduced you, she said you were a recovering banker and venture capitalist. What's the banker and venture capitalist part and what's the recovering part? Yeah, so <clears throat> help start uh, a local venture firm. I was on the, the founding team of Elevate Capital. It's a, it's a firm that invests in uh, founders from underrepresented communities. And then uh, most of my financial career, I, I worked for different banks. I worked for the smallest bank in Portland, in Albina Community Bank. I was on the leadership team there. And then also the largest bank in North America, Bank of the West, which is owned by BMP Paribas. Mm-hmm. And so it was fascinating to be able to to work in the, in the in the big culture, in the big systems, but also in a very small bank where you have to wear a ton of different hats. And mm-hmm. so it was fascinating to, to be at Albina and really see what 
uh, a mission-driven organization looks like. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I interviewed with uh, the president, he, he said, where do you volunteer in Northeast Portland? Mm-hmm. He didn't say, do you? He didn't say Portland. <laughs> he didn't say Oregon. He said, where in Northeast Portland do you volunteer? Love it. And uh, I was like, all right, I'm sold. I'm in. Like, <laughs> count me in. Count me in. And so uh, between my, my work time supporting founders in an incubator for WeWork, uh, I spend my free time uh, advising for different venture capital funds that are priority that prioritize supporting women and people of color that are founders. Awesome. And so that's my that's what I'm passionate about. I love helping people solve problems, um, find money um, and grow and, and, and reach their, their big dreams. Well, how's it working? I mean, you are doing this type of work with um, <clears throat> underrepresented um, demographic segment of our population who could really use your help. What's your secret sauce? Uh, secret sauce, I think, is just, you know, the, the funny thing is I, I do uh, a lot of uh, speaking engagements with the venture capital community, and I talk about these underrepresented communities, and, and I really shift that language to underestimated communities. Because mm. when you're an investor and you think about what are the attributes you want of someone who's going to be a founder, mm-hmm. you'll make a list, and it'll include things like ability to handle adversity, mm-hmm. grit, determination, yes. fresh perspective. And when you go and do a list of what it means to be a woman, a person of color in the LGBT community, it's all those same mm-hmm. things. And so um, it dawned on me that, you know, people of color are, are made to be founders, oh, right? Like yeah. that's their their life's journey yeah. is, is cultivating the ability to read people and be in yes. different scenarios. Uh, and so it, it's amazing to see that that pivot happen in people's mm-hmm. minds where they, they go from thinking something's yeah. uh, um, sprinkling it on and we're doing this to check a box versus, wow, this is this is an untapped community of folks who I bet can make us a crap ton of money. Yes. And studies show that, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, companies that have uh, diverse boards mm-hmm. and diverse leadership teams return the most money to stakeholders. Mm-hmm. What are you proud of stuff? Uh, being a dad, there's, <laughs> I, I'm the youngest of five, five boys and I always wanted to be a dad. Um, there's, there's, there's nothing like having little people that look like you and helping them along their journey. And, um, one of the reasons why I'm so active in supporting founders of color is I want my kids to see people look like them doing amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to be able to have my, my daughter go and sit with Dwayne Edwards, you know, mm-hmm. the founder of Pencil Academy, the world's only footwear school, and, and know they're on a first-name basis. Nice. It, it's, it plants a seed in her that I know she'll be able to do anything. So great. I want to, I want to circle back on something you said about um, the pivot Mm-hmm. And I, I see it in my own work where people, you know, are not, ex, you know, they're not pursuing um, certain segments as viable, you know, great clients they can have. And I think about, for example, first generation families who come here and they work so hard and they become successful. And yet they're very underrepresented in the capital markets and particularly in the wealth management world. And when you think about what it takes to get here, you know, the commitment, the sacrifice, the focus on a long-term goal, the making decisions in the context of the entire family, you realize, you know, this is what our family does, right? But just having that that internalized and also saying, I don't care what the society is showing me as who belongs to this conversation. 
we have the grit, we have the skills, and so we can apply this to this system too, right? So I just wanted to, you know, give you props on on helping more people see that and the pivot in in terms of building their enterprise and their empire. Yeah, and and the data supports it. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the the things that led to me doing Pitch Black was the survey of of businesses that the census does every five years came out mm-hmm. in 2014, and it identified that there was five thousand black businesses mm-hmm. here. In Oregon, mm-hmm. and more than four thousand of them just in the Portland metro area, and that was it doubled from awesome. five years previous. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a the opposite of what you read around mm-hmm. the newspapers, mm-hmm. and it's all sorts of industries, and it's it's not just the the triple B's as I call them: mm-hmm. barbecue, bars, barbershops, <laughs> um, venture capitalists. There's people that are running technology companies, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know it really started this fire in me to to go and say, okay, if I've got that implicit bias of assuming mm-hmm. people do or don't exist or what they do or don't do, then other people may share that. Mm-hmm. And so, what would it look like to start an event where I bring people from from the dominant culture, entrepreneurial community, and also people from the black community that are already doing amazing yeah. things. And so it's been really cool to see what's manifested from that. Here we are, you know, four years later, we've done it four times in Portland. We've had uh, almost 50 people pitch and they've gone on to raise over $20 million for amazing. their businesses in those four years. So and um, it's it's amazing. And now, you know, we're, we're going to other places around the country to do it. And let's talk more about Pitch Black. How... <clears throat> How are folks selected to pitch? After they pitch, what happens and how are the investment choices made? Yeah. So um, Pitch Black, it's really, it's about the party. It's not even about the money. It's not about the pitches. It's about me bringing someone into a room who starts from a standpoint of Stephen doesn't exist or he's the only one and dropping that person into a room with dozens, if not hundreds of black founders, successful entrepreneurs, successful people in finance that are in their same city, that have been in their same city this whole time. And the epiphanies that happen in that first 30 minutes before the first pitch even happens. Yeah. And so it's it's great that we've been able to, to give away almost $50,000 to the winners and to see what they've done. But the social capital piece Ugh. and the confidence that you see that happens in the black founders where wow, I do have an amazing brand. Wow, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm killing it in Northeast Portland or I'm killing it on the West Side, but I could I could kill it in Denver. I could mm. kill it in Detroit. I could kill it in Bogota, Colombia, yes. right? And so those, those ahas mm-hmm. kind of, you know, crackle throughout the room mm-hmm. and you, you kind of forget about the pitches, yeah. right? And um, the money piece is great and, and the success that the people have had is is awesome, but but seeing people build their social capital Huge. and going to places. I went and did a, a work trip to Seattle and somebody was wearing a pitch black shirt and Love like it. it almost brought me to tears. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 awesome. It's awesome. They say that that is the biggest barrier. It's not capital. It's about who you know and here you are producing an event that that's the focus is like getting you those connections um just a little personal vignette when I was grappling with the decision to take over my mother's business and I had been the kid at the Ivy League school who was studying on a Saturday you know night and so were all my other friends who were first generation Americans you know first ones to go to college let alone an Ivy League and they were all trying to become doctors and even though you know my one friend Jonathan was obviously like a mathematician should have been in business or my other one was great with words I was like you should be a lawyer and they're saying no doctors is more of a meritocracy than business or law and we just don't have the connections and so you know thinking back on that when I you know I was given that 
special privilege to take over a business. You know, I, I thought to myself, like, I, I told myself I'd be a teacher. I'd be helping in other ways. My friends looked at me and said, what I wouldn't give for that chance. You better take it and you better run yeah, with it. Yeah. Do more, do what you can <clears throat> with it. And it has a direct impact on risk tolerance for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs as well. I mm-hmm. think one of the things that, that I've seen in my in my experience working with founders of color and, and female founders is they have a lower risk tolerance mm-hmm. because the burden is on their shoulders of not only Noel, mm-hmm. but of women, mm-hmm. of brown women, mm-hmm. of women from Hawaii maybe or whatever. <laughs> and so it's not, if, if Noel misses the mark, it's not just Noel missing mm-hmm. the mark, it's all these other people standing behind them. Meanwhile, you know, Chip or Chet, who's a third generation rich kid who went to Stanford. Well, I gotta be failed. Chip or Chet. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think they have a different risk tolerance. And so mm-hmm. while they may have failed eight times before they had success on the ninth time, mm-hmm. Noel's still working on something to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And the reality is nothing's perfect. We become perfectionists for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I've learned two definitive takeaways supporting founders over the last 20 years. And one, people always say they wish they would have started early. Mm-hmm. And two, they wish they would have had more balance in their life and mm-hmm. spent time with their kids and gone to the basketball games and this whole mythology of having to work 20 hour days mm-hmm. to be legitimate is mm-hmm. is just not true. I know multimillionaires who work four or five hours a week. Yeah. I, I think that's such an important lesson. And I think what it does is when you get into those larger conversations um, at, at bigger arenas where the capitals even greater, if you're not bringing your human element and that part that says, yeah, I've, I've messed up before, then people don't find you relatable. And so here you are trying to be the ultimate perfectionist, and yet it makes you less approachable. So it's, it's like counterintuitive. Um, so I'm really stoked that you're making that distinction, helping people recognize that you have an, a brilliant thing to share with the world, but make sure it's about you and all of you, not just the perfect parts of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my one of my advisors who uh, teaches at Stanford, he's mm-hmm. an MBA professor there, he, he, he says the market responds to greatness. Mm. Not all right, not okay, mm. not average. Yeah. Um, when you're starting a business, you know, you have to find what you offer that's great. Mm. Um, and if you, don't, if you don't find that, keep, keep looking. Look for the sparkle. Um, but you gotta, you gotta have that. Yeah. What's a great story from the Pitch Black experience that you really like? Like uh, you, know, you, you mentioned so Bogota. Like what's yeah, what's so an many. example of how the social yeah. capital was built? Then something awesome happened. So twelve years ago, while I was doing my first um, amount of time at Albany Community Bank, uh, before I joined the city, uh, I met a young man named Tyrone Poole um, from Northeast Portland amazing guy and you know when you meet somebody and you're like two minutes in and you can feel mm-hmm. the energy off them and you're just like yeah. okay whatever this person yeah. says like yeah. if they're selling dirt i'm buying yes. whatever it is yes. that was tyrone and and so tyrone began to tell me about a business he had started and it was a daycare business mm. and i was like wow tell me more i know it's mm-hmm. a big need mm-hmm. and he was like yeah i just i want to move it out of the shelter that i'm in mm. and i was like tell me about this shelter like homeless shelter. And he's like, yeah, I started in a homeless shelter. And his journey was, he was in firefighting school, broke both of his legs, ended up being in a hospital for nine months, lost everything, almost died a couple times from internal bleeding. And he got put out on the street by the time the nine months was over. He had friends let him sleep on the couch, but that all, you know, only lasts so long. And he, he found himself bleeding on a bus bench 
and the cops picked him up and took him to a shelter. And he's always been a very driven individual. And one of the things he realized when he was there, he started to compare himself to the to the people that were there, which were mainly women and mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I'm going places, I'm doing things, you all are lazy. And what he found was that the women were in this juxtaposition of, well, I'd go and get a job if I had daycare, but I can't pay for daycare mm-hmm. if I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. And so he started a daycare where he provided... Um, coverage of the of the kids while the women were going and doing um, vocational training or mm-hmm. doing interviews. Cool. And then he found some state funds to help pay for that. And that was his first business. Fast forward eight years, he has an idea after working with helping people face cha- barriers to, to, to homelessness. And he started a technology company. And he's got no tech background whatsoever, didn't go to the right school, huh. didn't any of the things that you would normally check the box of, mm-hmm. Tyrone does the opposite. Wow. Um, but he's always had that it mm. thing. And so, you know, he comes and, and pitches his idea for the first pitch black. He wins first place. And his, his idea is a, a platform where people can go and pay one application fee for an apartment. And it vets them over tens of thousands of apartments. Because so cool. right now you have to go to each apartment complex. And the state has vouchers to cover people's rent, but that doesn't cover people's application fees Uh and so while he was working a job with the state he found that people weren't using the vouchers and what it came out was they ran out of money applying at dozens of places and then they just didn't have any more money and so he created this technology um he won pitch black he went on to win a contract with the city of portland uh the city of atlanta he's working in a couple other states and he's raised three million dollars for his for his company awesome and none of the pedigree that he should have um, but he's got it. And and he's recognizing a very important <clears throat> piece of the puzzle that just needs to be fixed. And just that small, this is the pain point, boom. Yep. And, and he likes to say, you know, those, if you want someone who thinks outside the box, find someone who doesn't even know what the box is. Yeah. And, and that's his background. He really doesn't know it. what the box is. Yeah. So, you know, we all screw up. Um, we were talking about failure and, and being able to, to um, you know, make mistakes and own those mistakes. What's been an epic fail for you? Ooh, uh, I grew up in a really athletic family. Uh, my dad played at Michigan State, played football and baseball there. Had an uncle that's a Hall of Famer in the NFL. Uh, Who's your my, uncle? Uh, Night Train Lane, Dick Lane. I did not know Night Train yeah. Lane was your uncle. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I... I all, all five of my brothers, we, we, we had our athletic exploits. And when I decided to go to college, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll play football and I'm pretty good. And uh, I'll never forget my first practice in college. It just it dawned on me like someone just walked by and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you, you, this is not your thing. <laughs> this is not your thing at all. And... Uh, it, it, it wasn't a fail, but I saw this version of what I thought was going to happen in my life just just pass by, and and then book closed. <laughs> yeah, it, it just closed, and and it also opened up these other ideas of well, here are the things that I could be doing, cool. and so um, I fell in love with economics and business. Started my first business while I was in college, um, but it was it was really appalling. This whole identity that I had created mm-hmm. as a young man of mm-hmm. being the you know whatever football star was gone no. and and I it was literally in just seconds instant in practice and uh what was the school and what was the first business uh Western Oregon University and uh while I was a junior this website started called eBay oh. 
and I totally remember even I had been doing <laughs> yeah I had been doing some work with Nike and it was before they had outlet stores and so the way Nike sells shoes is they sell them to a Foot Locker but then when they don't sell them all Foot Locker sells them back at a discount to Nike at the time they didn't have these other channels where they would distribute the shoes and so I knew a way to get the list of the shoes that Nike was buying back at a steep 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 discount and I knew which shoes people wanted and so I'd go through this list and I would buy shoes for $10, $20, $30 a pair, and then I'd put them on eBay, and they'd sell for $200, nice. $300, $400. And so the, the summer that I started it, <laughs> yeah, the summer that I started it, my dad was like, why are all these boxes here? You're buying all these <laughs> shoes. They keep coming, and then you're going to the post office. What the hell is going on? And I showed him my, my eBay account and the page and the dollar amount, and he he. he pulled two hundred dollars out of his pocket and he's like count me in <laughs> that's awesome um, sneaker head still oh yeah oh yeah i got most most recent most re- recent uh, sneakers purchased uh most recent and i'll share you mine i'll tell you mine you tell me yours so every year we go to hawaii in january and every year i buy a pair of shoes uh, a hawaiian themed pair of shoes and so i am wearing the island air force ones wow. i have a little Yes. Uh, palm yeah, tree on them. Um, but yeah, that's that's the latest one. Not good in the sand, but those are darling shoes. No, no, no. <laughs> I got some, some slippers to nice. go along with Perfect. them. For Christmas, I got two uh, Jordan 11s, the uh, the Concords, and a pair that are green. It was sort of like Oregon Duck style. So I know, you know, it's nice. a little more traditional. Nice. It's not as, it's not, I, I would not characterize myself as a sneakerhead, but I'm an admirer of sneakerheads. Is that fair? You're sneakerhead adjacent. That's fine. That's fair. That's not <laughs> accurate. How do you define success? Uh, success is, is being, is being happy and being surrounded by the people that you love. Um, it's, it's not money definitively. I I know that I know some really sad disheveled millionaires who, (laughs) and so that that's definitively not it. Um, it's the people that you surround yourself and and what they say when you're not around. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm always on the hunt for it, but you know, be great to my wife, Mm -hmm. love my kids. Um, you know, and when I fail, call it out and, yeah. and pivot appropriately. Nice. So um, we work pitch black, PDX startup week, all the things that you are working so hard at. What do you say to someone who says, you know what, that's just, it's BS, your business, what it is. How do you call them out and say, actually, here's how it's working? So, so one, you, you need haters, mm-hmm. right? You need people that call you out because if everyone's telling you it's a good idea, you're not going to be driven to, to really mm-hmm. raise things to the next level. And so I think, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that you, you surround yourself with people that are always smarter than you, that know more with you. And if you do that, you're going to get that mm-hmm. kind of feedback. And so when when someone goes and says this is a, a, a bad idea and it's someone that you, you love and trust and who's part of the squad, um, they'll probably follow that with, here's what would be a good idea. Nice. Or here's what you what you could be doing. Um, and it's an opportunity to have a conversation and you lean in and, yes. and say, oh, I'll change those things. Or here's what you didn't hear. Mm-hmm. Here's what you don't understand about this. Mm-hmm. Um, or here's what the focus is. And it's not the focus that you were thinking about. Okay. This isn't my my billion dollar idea. Right. This is about building community. And then I change my um, messaging. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And so um, if you don't have those kind of conversations, mm -hmm. um, you're doing you're doing something wrong. You're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Right. What's changing at WeWork for you? It's been, it been in the news about the growth of the organization, the shift in investment of the organization recently. What's what's exciting about WeWork right now? What's changing about it? Just the people. Um, I, I, I'm. I'm floored every day, the amazing people from different backgrounds and different cultures uh, that I'm able to work with and the sex success that they've had at other places and decided, I want to leave Time Warner, Google, Nike, wherever, uh, venture capital firms, and go join this, this startup that's helping build community. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was attracted to it because of its Oregon roots. One of its founders is, is from Oregon. Uh, and, and I, I really, you know, my, my life is community. It's, it's these connections that I've built over time. It's, it's not doing deals. It's, it's the thousands of stories that I could tell about, um, deals big and small where people's lives have been impacted. And so, uh, we work, I believe is a, is a place where those, those collisions happen a lot, mm -hmm. uh, inside buildings all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a magical kind of thing that I already do anyway, connecting dots and, and introducing people and solving problems and, um, you know, supporting people when things aren't going well. You tweet so. connecting dots a lot. You and I think, is it Rick Tarazi? You guys, you guys uh, uh, talk about connecting dots and you do that pitch black, right? You talked about social capital in this conversation. Yep. You just talked about that with WeWork. What are the limits of what social connecting can do? What are the limits of what, even the limits of what kind of private allocation of capital can do? What's something that when you see, you mentioned Tyrone Poole's story, mm -hmm. even in his first business story, government money being deployed to the people he was trying to help was a part of that story. What are things yeah. that democracy needs to do? What are things that systems beyond the private sector allocation of capital need to do? Yeah. So I, I think one, we, we need to do a better job of, of calling out problems and identifying them. Um, you know, I, I talked earlier about how the number of black businesses in Portland in, in Oregon has doubled. At this very same time frame where the number of black businesses doubled, the number of SBA loans going to black businesses reduced by 96%. Wow. So essentially SBA lending just turned off for black businesses, wow. you know, around the state. And who's making those decisions? Banks. Bankers. Yeah. yeah. Because they they utilize the, the the tools at the SBA to, to fund those. Businesses. And what changed? Forty percent of businesses of banks that existed in two thousand don't exist anymore, mm -hmm. and the banks that disappeared were primarily the smaller community lenders that were doing those deals, and no one calls that out. And I think that's you know when I think about the opportunities ahead for the Portland Business Alliance and the city and the state is you don't have to have the answers, but. When there's a 96% drop in loans to black businesses, you got to say, whoa, this is this is a huge problem. Let's move to a rapid round. Piece of advice that you got that still inspires you today. Done beats perfect. Love it. Every day. Done beats perfect. What's a book that needs to be on our bookshelves right now? Drive by Dan Pink. Almost, I, I love all of his stuff, but Drive is a is one of those shape shifting books in my mind. Of it made me think differently about how I manage people. And did you um, see the video or watch the movie? Watch the book or both? Watch the both. book or read the video. I, I saw the TED talk and the, uh, read the book. All right, read the book first. Though. Actually, yeah, you're better than I am. <laughs> Quote you try to live by: Get better every day. 
you've given us lots of really cool stats and, and facts, but if there is a factoid that everyone should know, what do you think it would be? That um, the, the, the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the United States are blacks and Latinos. Something about you that almost no one knows, other than the fact that your uncle is Dick Nitrain Lane. <laughs> I got fifth place in the calf tie in the Sisters Rodeo when I was 12 years old. Oh, God, fantastic. Amazing. That is fantastic. And with that, thank you for spending time with Better Money. Thanks. <laughs>